I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, actor Patrick Warburton, to the show. Welcome to the show, finally. I know we've been trying to like have you on the show for a while now, and you've been so busy, so I really appreciate you being on the show today. <laughs> Absolutely, Tierra. And it's like 20 years since Emperor's New Groove, which is weird to say, because I clearly remember seeing it in the movie theater with my mother. We were actually just talking about this today, and we went to see it. We didn't know what to expect, and we were we were so confused, but we loved it. Because <laughs> I really hadn't, I, I'd never seen any footage or anything of you talking about working on the on the film before, um, especially like in detail, because there's so much history with it, um, especially with it being Kingdom of the Sun first which was, you know, there was kind of like this, uh, a whole other film with Sting involved starting around 97. And then they had to switch everything because the director dropped out and the whole film was switched from Prince and the Pauper to um, the Emperor's New Clothes. So um, when you were when you were approached to audition for this, what exactly did you know about what was going on at the time? Because I can only imagine you must have been really confused. No, I had no idea. But apparently, you know, that's something I could watch during quarantine is the sweat box. I've never seen that. But I, I think that because uh, that was Trudy, she had done a documentary. And I know that they were upset or disappointed because the, the, the thing was supposed to be more of like a, a dramatic, epic, more like a, a Lion King at first. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing turned into this comedy. So it turned into, they, they just turned it on its end and made it something entirely different than what it was. You know, Sting might have done a lot of, um, he may have done more music and more, was going to be much more involved. And then, you know, it ended up being the theme song of The Emperor's New Groove, which was just pretty much what was left. So I, I think the experience might have been disappointing for Sting. <laughs> Um, because it was, it's always a long process making a Disney film. Um, it usually takes about four or five, uh, four or five years, sorry, uh, four or five years, you know, from, you know, when they start, by the time they're done with all of their, um, you know, animation and putting it together. But, um, yeah. It, it's it seemed like because the only two people who were on the voice cast from the original version who were in this version of the Emperor's in a Groove was Eartha Kitt and David Spade. So, um, you know, the creative directors, they said, well, David wasn't really sure what was going on, so he wasn't really happy. And Eartha didn't even know they were changing the film. She was just like, okay. <laughs> so, and I felt so bad because you can only imagine they must have been working for a long time because it shows in the sweat box that David was working one-on-one with um, Owen Wilson because he was supposed to play the pauper. And then that whole thing was just, you know, you know, taken and changed. And Eartha had that wonderful song. I don't know. Did you ever hear her song that Sting wrote for her? No. Oh, Patrick, I'm telling you, she, it's, it's like a jazz lounge singer song and it's, it's, and they were completed it, the whole thing. They even completed like the rough animation for it and scrapped the whole thing. And, um, but they kept it on the album. So Walk the Llama Llama <laughs> was from the original film and Snuff Out the Light is her song. And the love song with Sting, um, are all on the album still. They all released them, but Okay. Yeah. So, how did you hear about like the audition for the new film then? Uh, just came my way. Um, I went in. They described the character Kronk to me, 
and then um, I looked at looked at him and you know sort of what the character breakdown was and uh, made some choices and uh, they seemed to like the direction that I went and uh, became quickly involved after that. Um, but it was a great process. I mean, I for me it was nothing but a joy because I I missed any of the uh, you know all the alterations and everything going on and um, it seemed all to be pretty specific when I got involved It's like this is who these guys are this is the story and we just moved straight through there so um, I had no idea that I was I was coming in way mid process and um, um, I wasn't privy to any of the uh, the complications or uh, the goings-on before I even became involved. I heard about it all afterwards. Oh, wow. So they kept it from you. <laughs> yeah. Might I remember meeting, when I met Sting, you know, I, I could only imagine, you know, what, you know, when, uh, when, when he met me, just thinking, boy, you're part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, it's it just so interesting because Kronk is is such a unique character and obviously it sounds like they didn't really have any visuals to give to you yet so it was all script based is what you had well yeah but they had um you know there was storyboard and uh character for me to look at so you know there was no you know um you know fu fully evolved animation but there was storyboard w was this like a quicker process in recording the vocals for this specific role or was this still drawn out over a year for you because it sounded oh, it like was still, it was still drawn out over you know a year or so yeah because they you know they change things and they uh, they'll integrate a new scene here or there and then you end up coming back a few months later and um, but it could be a long process making an animated feature but did you get to yeah. meet anybody during the recording sessions or you know passing by uh, passing by, usually we record all individually. I really enjoyed working with Randy, that was for sure. He was great. But uh, as far as the cast goes, we all did it pretty much individually. So one of the things I've, I've, I've addressed in the, in the past and, and talked about was just, it's just very unique, Eartha, in, uh, in our real, sort of working relationship throughout the years, because I had worked with Eartha in 1986. I went to South Africa and did two films there, two horrible movies, uh, Dragonard and Master of Dragonard Hill. And they were Canon films, budgeted at about maybe one and a half million dollars. Um, sort of, you know, exploitation pieces, um, really shoddy, cruddy movies. Um, and uh, they're embarrassingly bad. I'm the worst thing in them. I, I'd never done anything. I was, you know, 22 years old at the time. And um, in, uh, Oliver Reed was in it. He played the villain. I was the good guy. Eartha Kitt ran the bordello. And then um, when I get near beat to death, um, uh, I've been like sold into the slave trade because I was accused of being a traitor in the colonies. And so I'm the only white slave. Um, and, you know, and then... You know, I mean, at the time I was 22, I wrote crew in college, so I was in pretty decent shape, you know, and as I'm on the, you know, the block being sold as a slave, you've got all the women with their parasols, 
you know, darling, I want that one. Um, you know, it's oh, just, wow. it was, oh my gosh. It was, it's just ridiculously bad. And I remember seeing Eartha, you know, uh, at the premiere of uh, the Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> I, I said something to her like, remember those horrible movies that we did together? And she goes, well, I'm sure that we had fun, darling. And I thought at the time, I go, I don't think you ever tell Eartha Kitt that anything she was a part of was horrible. Um, <laughs> even if, you know, if I have license to say that because I was in it and I was the worst part of it. Um, but it was very, it was just so odd. It was so odd that we had done those movies together in, in Africa years ago. And then here we are in this animated feature. And the, the relationship between Eartha and Kronk was, to a degree, almost like, almost like what our relationship was years before that. Because after we'd done the Dragon Art films, she was performing at the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood. And I thought, well, I'm going to go see her perform. You know, I know Eartha. We just spent a couple months working together. And so she was delighted that I came to see her performance at the Roosevelt. And then she invited me upstairs afterwards to have some tea or coffee. And we go up to her room. And I'm sitting on one end of the couch and she's on the other. And she excuses her butler or assistant out of the room. And now it's just Eartha and I. And it's a little awkward. And she's sitting on one end of the couch. And she's petting this animal, a creature. I couldn't tell you if it was a dog or a cat. I could tell you it had so much hair on it that you couldn't see its eyes. It was just a creature with covered in hair. And she's petting it. And she's like, how are you, darling? And I go, I'm fine, Mrs. Kit. And it was, there was just such a gap between some kid who grew up in very sheltered Orange County and saw none of the world and the very worldly Eartha kid. And there was just such an imbalance there. And it was just very uncomfortable. And after about 10 minutes, I excused myself and I said, well, lovely to see you again, Eartha. Thank you so much. And I left. Um, and, um, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So wait, wait, did, so you, you, you met her before the film and then when you did Emperor's New Groove, you, you guys, you did you know that she was going to be playing Yzma at that point or did you see her at all uh, before the before the red carpet? No, it's just like on the red carpet, you know. And then um, a few years later during the Hollywood Christmas Parade, uh, we were invited, there was an Emperor's New Groove float and Eartha was on it, and I was on it, and I brought my daughter, who was probably 11 years old at the time, um, and I was very excited for her to be able to spend some time with Eartha. And we all sat on the float in the Hollywood Christmas Parade. Uh, so that was uh, that was fun. Mickey Rooney was there. And, and wow. <laughs> that was very cool. Um, but, I need to uh, find footage of that because I, I didn't even know that <laughs> that was a thing. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. But she was an amazing woman and a legend. She was in an acting workshop class with my mother years ago because my mother was an actress. And my mother was very, very religious. And she wouldn't um, curse. She wouldn't play characters like she would. She was um, 
asked to do a show on Broadway with George C. Scott, but she would have had to have played a prostitute, and my mother would not play a prostitute. Um, my mother was very proper, and Eartha remembered my mother. She would give her a hard time, I think, sometimes. Oh, oh, she was the good girl. That's how she referred to my mom. <laughs> It's funny because if you think about it, you and Eartha are the only, I would say, sidekick and villain duo that continued your roles the longest out of anybody because you have Emperor's New Groove followed by the Emperor's New School, which I, you know, grew up watching too. Um, And then Kronk's New Groove, he got his own film. And yeah. then the Disney Cruise Line show actually had Villains Tonight, which had a scene with Kronk and Yzma. So you had these people, whoever played Tarzan the one night on the on the cruise ship played Kronk the other night. <laughs> it was uh, it, it was hilarious. And then finally, um, Eartha had passed away, I think, in 2009. So they wanted to bring you guys back for the card game in Magic Kingdom at Disney World. the I think it's called Sorcerers of Magic Kingdom. Do you remember that? No. They had no. you come in, and you did some lines, but since she had passed, the woman, I believe, who does the voices of Maleficent and the Evil Queen came in to do um, Eartha's part for the time being um, until, I guess, the, they didn't really find anybody else. She was a good match, um, but you could tell because I, I had just been there a couple months ago and I was like, please give me the Emperor's New Groove one because you could choose an adventure and they take you to Adventureland and you start um, with Kronk and Yzma trying to take over Adventureland. It's hilarious. And it's you. And so I was like, oh, oh my God, it's it's Patrick. <laughs> Okay, so this was something we recorded? Yeah. yeah. I think it was like yeah. 2013 was when the game came out. I, I I would only assume they probably said, hey, we have a new um, project we're doing for the parks and we want to put a cronk in it. You know, can you record a couple lines? Cause like, I do have, yes, I have a faint recollection of that now, yes. We want some representation for you guys because it's it's such a unique film. It's so different. So what what did you think when you finally saw the, the finished project? Well, it was great fun, that was for sure. It was very exciting for me. I grew up on Disney. I grew up on Huntington Beach. Um, we were probably only a 25-minute drive uh, or so from Disneyland. And so I grew up going to Disneyland. Um, I grew up in as, you know, I gave you a little until there, and mom, uh, mom and dad, we were, they're very strict and uh, very Catholic, very strict. And I have three younger sisters. So growing up in our household, uh, we were only allowed to watch you know, in those early years, Little House on the Prairie during the week. And then on Sunday nights, we could watch the wonderful world of Disney, I remember. And, uh, but, uh, you know, Disney is uh, always had a very uh, special place for me and uh, my youth and growing up. And I've always been a big Disney file my whole life. Um, and uh, any opportunity to work with Disney was always uh, very special. So, you know, it's been great. And since then, you know, to be able to do things like that, you know, you know, host the soaring over uh, California and then the world ride and then uh, to work on some star tours. That was very cool. And, um, uh, we did Buzz Lightyear. I got to do Buzz Lightyear star command for that Disney series. And, um, Roy Disney, when he was in his nineties, did a documentary, um, about sailing, um, 
and it's like the it's the race where you uh, the sailing race from you know California to Hawaii, and that was Roy's passion. And I forget the the title of it now, but he requested that I narrate, and so I went in to narrate, and as I was narrating, normally you're by yourself in uh, you know a sound studio. In this case, I was narrating with Roy sitting right next to me. And it was very intimidating. And of course he was uh, a lovely uh, gentleman and, um, you know, and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, Disney hierarchy there. I mean, I was, you know, he was, uh, you know, uh, a bit of a, you know, a Disney legend himself, Roy. And, uh, I was, uh, I was, uh, terrified. And when you do a cartoon character, uh, there's no right or wrong. You have fun, you experiment and you try this and that and what ends up working, uh, you know, ends up going. But when you're narrating, you're not hiding behind the character. Uh, narrating is very, it's just, it's just, um, very, um, stripped down and honest and you feel much more vulnerable when you're just narrating, I find sometimes, um, and especially if it's a passion project of someone like Roy Disney's and he's listening to how you say every word, um, it's nerve wracking. And so, um, I remember at one point just sort of <laughs> to lighten the mood, I guess for me, I thought I'm going to tell Roy about the time I got kicked out of Disneyland. <laughs> Oh my goodness, what did he say? <laughs> yes, well, I was I was about 19 years old. And uh, I had a buddy that was working at the, on the monorail at the time. And so another buddy of mine and I came to meet him. And then we were cruising, cruising around the park. And we got on the People Mover, which is a ride that hasn't existed for some 20 years now or more, maybe. And we're on the People Mover. And... Uh, we stupidly thought it would be um, fun to get off the people mover while it was going and like just run, try to escape. Um, stupid. They have cameras everywhere. The second we got off the ride, the whole ride stopped and they knew exactly where we were. And the next thing we knew we were in, I guess what you'd call Disney jail. Um, <laughs> We were getting a good, we got a good little talking to, and then we're told to leave the park. <laughs> My poor buddy worked on the monorail, lost that job. Um, um, no. Anyways, uh, Roy seemed to be amused <laughs> by the story. <laughs> I'm assuming a lot of people come up to you and go, oh my gosh, you're the voice of Kronk, or <laughs> you're also Patrick, chief flight attendant of Soaring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What was it like to film the the soaring pieces? Because we, we you know, it was when that first came out. Because it, originally it was in Disneyland, and they brought it to Disney World, and oh my gosh, it was huge! It was humongously popular, and everybody loved, you know, your your portion of of the of the video. So, and they've kept it after all these years. Thank God. <laughs> yes, that was a great opportunity. I just remember getting the offer. I went in to do it. And, um, and then, um, uh, please, um, Oh God, forgive me. Cause my, I'm just, uh, my mind's not working right now. Um, he, uh, 
he ran Disney. He ran Pixar. He was he's great. Um, why can't I think of his name? Uh, John Lasseter. Lasseter. So Lasseter was there, and I bumped into him when we were shooting um, the you know the uh, opening for Soren, and he came up and uh, said hi, and he wanted to take me for a tour of uh, the park. So I cruised around with Lasseter, and we went into a Bugs Life. Now Bugs Life, that attraction wasn't even open yet, so we sat in there in an empty bug's life and watch that attraction and uh, just had a lovely time hanging out. But um, always a big fan, fan of his. And uh, he said he was a huge fan of mine, but then I never ended up working with him on anything, which I would have loved to have. Um, and uh, I know he's still, uh, still working now. And um, um, I think he's uh, developing his own production company, but um, um yeah, it was a great experience getting to just to, to do that and to be a part of that and to still be a part of it. I really wasn't sure what was going to happen when they changed uh, the ride over from uh, Soaring Over California to Soaring Over the World. But I was very pleased uh, to say that um, they kept me. Yes. So, so I wasn't sure what was going to happen there. There was going to be an uproar, Patrick, if they did not keep you. I'm telling you, the <laughs> Disney community. <laughs> huge fans of yours i'm telling you and they even like i have to send you you know some people do you know t-shirts and fun things and quotes from attractions because sometimes disney doesn't do them but there is one that says nice work pal and yes. it's it's designed like the soaring lo- logo i'll send it to you because it's just so cute i love it and you know I people love to, uh... Uh, when, you know, when I'm at Disneyland with my family, and uh, we get there maybe once a year or once every couple of years, but it's uh, I always love to embarrass the family. So there's a couple of things that I'll do. One is when we're on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, is is we is you know those boats quietly go past the restaurant. Um, I'll usually yell out in a pirate voice, "I recommend the veal." <laughs> I remember one time we were doing that in the restaurant and one of the really stuffy waiters across, you know, from the restaurant to the boats going by, I could hear him very loudly go, (laughs) you know, like, like we're ruining everybody's evening. It's a fun, stupid thing. And I have to do it every time. And then, um, what we'll do is we'll be in the soaring over California, um, you know, line and, uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe, um, um, uh, very quietly sneak in and uh, if nobody's recognized me um, before I come on on screen there I'll just I'll, I'll go to everybody oh quiet quiet everyone I love this guy and then everybody starts looking at me. <laughs> it's like you're an idiot and then they they recognize that it's me and then I'll look at some kid and I'll go I, I know it looks like my son what what yeah. what are your overall thoughts on how Kronk has been received as a Disney character? Are you kind of shocked that you know people really dug his character, or were you like, you know what, I'm, I think this is going to be something that will click with the audience? Well, that's always your hope, um, and uh, and it's been you know great to see throughout the years, um, you know, just uh, how how. Uh, you know, the fans have embraced Kronk and love him, have loved him throughout the years. And uh, he's, a, he's a fun character. I think he was unique. And I think in regards to your villains, you know, your Disney villains, that there is something unique with uh, Kronk and Yzma is a, a villain team. Um, you know, and uh, the whole dynamic there, 
Um, and there was some fun sort of, you know, more subversive, uh, you know, adult humor in that, that sometimes there, there isn't in, uh, you know, in, in set of Disney films, but, um, you know, and things where you could just uh, make your own assumptions <laughs> in regards to their relationship or, um, you know, <laughs> that's what a lot of people say but yes. I, I think Kronk has no idea like he's just completely and Yzma oh, yeah. is so full of herself she doesn't have time <laughs> right. yes yes did you did you work with anybody else besides Eartha over the years I know David Spade and you did rules of engagement because I, I used to watch oh. that all the time I just thought yeah. it was weird I was like oh my gosh it's Kronk and Cusco yes <laughs> did yes. you guys ever talk those, about those, it or? Those, that you know that uh, that meme you know where it You've got, um, you know, Cusco and Kronk, and then you've got me and David at the uh, diner and says, isn't it strange that these two are these two? Yeah, I've seen that one, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I always enjoy working with Davey. I, I've been a fan of Davey's. So I've always found Davey to be very funny, very charming, and, um, uh, uh, but uh, he's a cool dude. I enjoy his company, and... Um, and uh, it's fun. It's it, it's fun, but it's it's interesting how sometimes you reconnect with people in the industry. You know, uh, you know, I it reconnected and it was strangely enough with Eartha a couple of times. I'm working on different projects, and, uh, and I have also with uh, Davey. Did you ever work with uh, John Goodman at all in person? I don't believe so. I just remember bumping into John a lot on sets. You know, he'd be doing, um, he'd be working on a show, and I'd be working on a show, and uh, we'd stop and have a chat. But um, yeah, I've always been a fan of John's too. He's uh, he's an awesome dude. I did uh, ask Eartha's daughter because I know there had been rumors because Animal Kingdom and Disney World has like different countries represented. And there were so many fans that were like, well, what would happen if there was the roller coaster ride to the secret lab? What if there was, you know, Cusco Topia? So I, I said to her, I said, what, what are your thoughts on like having your mother since she has passed away? If that ever were to happen and they would allow the, the roller coaster attraction to happen, would you allow for them to, you know, uh, you, use some sound bites of your mom in the attraction and, and have her come back to life in, in this new way? And she was like, yeah, absolutely. So if that were a possibility, would, would you be up to that? Oh, of course. That'd be fantastic. You know, I just thought of something ridiculous and, and, and uh, funny. Last year, um, we, my wife and I did some traveling, and we went to um, Peru with my sister and brother-in-law. And uh, we went to Cusco, and I had fun walking around Cusco just, you know, in the city, just saying, Cusco, out loud. And uh, uh, we went to Machu Picchu. And I'm walking, and, and we're walking in the, the, those ruins of Machu Picchu, and with my brother-in-law, he's a professor. And uh, I go, uh, I go, oh look, there's llamas over there. That's where the llamas like to hang out. And this girl turns around, she goes, and she goes, oh my god, you sound just like him. And then my brother-in-law goes, that's him. <laughs> oh <my laughs> I think she's just stunned to be in Machu Picchu with Croc. <laughs> That's like a story for your bucket list, basically, just to have something like that. I can't even imagine. So she did she get a picture with you at least? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, 
Oh my god! So you got to go to to Peru. Okay, so yeah. so you got to see all the all the things that inspired Embers in a Groove. That's awesome. But yes. no, were there any spinach puffs? Is the question? Not a one. <laughs> Oh god! Well, see, they have it all there. If they would make the, the the little you know world there, Cuscotopia, they just have Kronk's Kitchen right there, right? And then that would be the new <laughs> the new dinner yes. hotspot. <laughs> yes, yes. It's crazy to think it's been twenty years. So um, here's to another twenty years. But before we end our interview, are there any new projects that you'd like to talk about and let us know what's coming around the corner? The last major thing I worked on was a fantastic experience. I got to spend a couple of uh, years, um, you know, uh, for the better part uh, um, of two years in Vancouver doing a series of unfortunate events with uh, the great Barry Sonnenfeld. And that was an amazing experience. So that's on Netflix right now. But then I took a year off and um, uh, my wife and I did some traveling, which was long overdue. And um, that's when I went to Peru. And we also went to Africa some other uh, wonderful places. Um, since I've been back, I've been slow getting started again, but um, just just dabbling, doing a, a couple of things here and there. I worked on a film with uh, Simon Pegg and Lily Collins called Inheritance, which is a psychological thriller. Um, and I did um, uh, uh, just uh, you know a cameo, as they they call it, in the Space Force with the Steve Carells. That was fun. That's coming out, um, I guess, end of May on Netflix. Uh, um, Space Force, so I play the head of the Marines in, in that one. Um, and uh, just a couple of other little things here and there, but uh, now I'm just in, in development on some things right now, and I've been in development with uh, Barry on uh, another project, so we'll see if something comes of that. And, and also for our listeners, please follow Patrick. He's he is on Twitter. I'll put his link to his Twitter page in the in the show notes below, so you could check that out. And I have three final Disney themed questions I ask to each of my my guests. I call them the Fab Three. So okay. we'll start with the Donald question, which is: As a child, what Disney film was one of your favorites to see in the movie theater? Um, boy, I remember. Um... I remember seeing, um, I believe I saw the, the, the sword and the stone, Louis Sebastian Cabot narrated that. Um, I remember seeing the treasure of Matacumbe in theaters, an old Disney movie. And I enjoyed that one. And, um, that was live action. And a goofy question. What oh. Disney character besides any of the ones in Emperor's New Groove, do you think might be your best friend if you met them in person? Hmm. No, I've never thought about this one. Um, are you into like, fun, are, would you have a more sophisticated friend or a more funny friend? Like, I don't know why Genie is popping in my head for you. I'm going with Genie. He'd be great. Well, also, <laughs> listen, the Genie would be a great friend to have in any trouble. You're in trouble. You need a Genie. <laughs> um, but, uh, oh, I loved, uh, Robin Williams, Jeannie. He was, gen yeah, that was, that was genius. So. And finally, our Mickey question. If I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? Oh, Disney song. I, I don't know. Not that it's my favorite, but what is it? A whole new world. <laughs> From Aladdin? <laughs> yes, I guess that's the first thing that popped in my mind. Yes. 
I'm surprised yeah. they really never asked you to sing as Kronk at some point because that would be so much fun. It must be oh, fun. Oh, I did, though. I, I did in the TV series. You're um, Really? Yeah. I forget the song, but I remember part of it was like, um, I'm here, I'm here, and the sky is so clear. It's all too late. Look, I may even find a date. Something like that. Yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> oh, my. I don't remember that episode. I'm going to have to find it now. <laughs> yeah, there's a Kronk song, yes. Well, 20 more years of Kronk are going to be coming at us, hopefully, with maybe a remake. Maybe they might bring back him in some other retrospect. But, man, Patrick, yeah. you, you, you really delivered on this, you know, unusual but lovable character that everybody loves. You have big fans. You really do. Uh, well, thanks, Tara. And it was a joy and so, such special opportunity. So I'll always be grateful. Break it down, would you? Kidding me? This is Ann Carve Mahogany. I don't care, you fool. Get out of my way.